Good morning. Good to see you today. Some of you have changed some seats. You've moved around on me a little bit. That's a good thing. I'm seeing people in different places, not where I'm typically accustomed to seeing you, and that keeps me on my toes and hopefully gives you opportunity to uh, talk with some folks that you maybe typically don't see or talk with on an average Sunday morning. We've got a lot to cover today. I'm super excited about the day, very thankful for the day, Um, very prayerful for the day. Uh, And so I would just love to get right into it. If you can take your Bible, please, and meet me in the book of Acts, chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. This morning, as Andre mentioned, we do come to the third and final week of our brief sermon, uh, our brief series on community, through which we've been stressing the importance of, of true Christian community while proposing some specific goals for the coming year. Uh, in fact, the three uh, themes or the three sermons of this series are actually the three points to be made at today's directional meeting. That, that as a church, we want to be a community in community, a community in prayer, and a community on mission. Here at East Parkway Church, we believe in missions. We support missions and many missionaries around the world. In fact, relative to our size and budget, we are very supportive. We are very, very supportive, which is so very, very good. Still, there's an important distinction between supporting missionaries from afar and being on mission ourselves. I want to consider that with you today. To be on mission is to be personally engaged in what God is doing to seek and save the lost in our lives. It's about fulfilling the Great Commission and the spirit of the Great Commandment. That is, because we love God, the Great Commandment, because we love God, we long to tell others about God and His love for them. So essentially, to be a community in community, to be a community in prayer, and to be a community on mission is to be a community for the cause of Christ. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 1 and throughout the entire book of Acts and really throughout the entire Bible. So this morning, I want to consider the biblical foundations of a community on mission then how we might continue cultivating a community on mission. Finally, how you can participate with the community as we go on mission together. So let's look at Acts chapter 1. I want to begin reading at verse 1 through verse 11, though we'll focus primarily 
on just the passage from verses 6 through 11. We remember that uh, Luke is the author of the book of Acts. Uh, the same Luke that authored the Gospel of Luke. In fact, the book of Acts is essentially the sequel to his Gospel as he writes to a man named Theophilus on the life of Jesus, that was the Gospel of Luke, and now on the cause of Christ. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when He was taken up after He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which He said, You heard from Me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but, but you, you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when He had said these things, as they were looking on, He was lifted up, and a cloud took Him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, as we come before your word, as we gather in your presence, we come with thanksgiving in our hearts and anticipation as we expect to hear your voice again this morning. We ask and want and desire you to speak into our lives, into each one of our lives. And there are so many themes here in this, even this brief ta uh, passage, so many important truths we could touch on, consider. Just the mention of the life and ministry and death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ and all that it means. And the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit and all that He means. And this charge that was passed on by Jesus Himself to those who followed Him to continue the work He began and all that that means. Will You help us this morning to see these things not for those 
disciples only. Not for that place only. Not for that time in history only. But indeed for us today in this place at our time in history as we look forward to your great return when you will gather all your people from every tribe and tongue throughout every generation and we will glory in the goodness of God together forever so from this day till that day make us to be about the cause of Christ for in his name we pray amen the book of Acts if I could summarize the entire book in one sentence it would be something like this. The book of Acts is about the Spirit of God empowering the people of God for the mission of God. It's about the Spirit of God empowering the the people of God for the mission of God. This is the clear objective. And in this passage, we observe three things. First, the apostles ask a kingdom question. That's verse 6. Jesus then responds with our kingdom commission. Verses 7 and 8. And after His ascension, two angels speak to the sure return of the king. That's verses 9 and 11. So we have a kingdom question, verse 6. Our kingdom commission, verses 7 and 8. And the sure return of the king. Verses 9 through 11. Notice first what's on the mind of the apostles. Jesus had died and rose from the dead, and according to verse 3, had been with them 40 days post-resurrection, speaking about the kingdom of God. By verse 6, however, notice their thinking about the kingdom of man. Lord... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus' teaching on the heavenly, their minds are on the earthly. They're thinking of an earthly kingdom, primarily of themselves and their homeland, Israel. But that's not what was on the mind of Christ. Jesus didn't want them thinking about themselves and their kingdom, but others and His kingdom. So He says in verse 8, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now were we do to see a map of the area, He was in effect sending them out locally, Uh, regionally and globally. They were to bear witness in their local community of Jerusalem, in the surrounding region of Judea and Samaria, and to the far reaches of the world. 
So like tossing a rock in a pond, the ripple effect of their witness was to begin at home and extend out from there. We just we cannot make we, we've got to be very clear on this. There is no way around this. There is no mistake. He sent them on mission. In the power of the Spirit of God. And as I've described this scene before, he basically says, Guys, listen. Here's the plan. I'm going back to heaven. And you're going to continue what I've begun here on earth. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will and, and be with you and equip and empower you. You're going to tell people about me and what I have done to redeem the world. You'll tell them about themselves, about their human condition, how they are lost and broken by sin and how their sins keep them from God and that sin brings death. You'll speak about eternity and eternal manners. And then you'll tell them about my love for them. That I came from heaven to earth to rescue them from sin and death and save them back to God. You'll speak about how I substituted myself in their place and died on the cross so that they might live and enjoy life with God as God intended from the start. You'll tell them about my resurrection from the dead. That I have that I have broken the curse of sin and, and the chains of death. Tell them about the goodness and grace of God who forgives sins and cleanses sinners and welcomes to Himself every single person who turns from going their way to follow Me instead. Tell them. Tell them. Oh, and by the way, You'll do this in Jerusalem among those who hate you just as they hated me. And you'll do this in Judea and Samaria among those whom you hate. (laughs) And you'll do it in places you don't even know of yet to the far reaches of the world. Okay? Everybody got it? That's the plan. Oh, 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 and just to be clear, there is no plan B. (laughs) And then suddenly, he's gone. And when he had said these things, verse 9, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, put yourselves in their shoes. What are you thinking in that moment? I imagine they're 
dumbfounded. Their heads are spinning. One moment they're thinking about their own kingdom when Jesus flips the script and sends them out to advance His instead. And then no sooner than He finishes speaking, He ascends into heaven. There's no discussion. There's no deliberation. There's no... Now, now hold on to Jesus. Hold on a sec. Let me make sure I understand. There's none of that. He just gives them a clear charge, then disappears into the sky. And I imagine their mouths gaped and their eyes glazed as they wondered what in the world just happened. There they stand, looking heavenward. Not not for a second or two, I, I imagine, but minutes probably passed until two angels appear and say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? It was probably like, snap two boys. Why are you gazing into heaven when Jesus has given you the mission for earth? But listen. Listen, they continue. Just as you saw him ascend, so will he descend. Lean in and listen closely. Jesus is coming again. Now when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? With these talents, remember the parable of the talents, With these talents he's given us, we all long to hear those words, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. With these talents he's given us, will he see and find that we've multiplied them? The one giving one talent now has two. The one given five talents now has ten. The one given ten talents now has more for his sake. Will we be the one who is given to and just gives back to? Because we buried it and we kept to ourselves. And we didn't want to rock the boat. And so with Christ's commission still ringing in their ears and the announcement of a sure return, they return to Jerusalem to pray and wait for the Spirit because Jesus had called them to something so far beyond them. Something so much bigger than they ever imagined. So they knew that if they were to follow the call of Christ, they must grab hold of His promise and never let go. In this passage, there are really three promises. Three promises, really. The first was the promise of the Holy Spirit. The second was the promise that they would be witnesses. You will be witnesses. And the third was the promise that He is coming again. 
And these three things were enough to unite them in purpose and propel them forward to begin fulfilling the great commission to which they had been called. And and church, these these very same things, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the, the fact that we will be witnesses, and the assurance that Jesus is coming again are enough to unite and propel us in much the same way for the very same purpose. Many of you already know this. You already know the Great Commission. We just need to be reminded of it and more importantly, motivated by it. Uh, I don't think we need more information, quite honestly. I don't think we need more information. We need more inspiration. We need to be inspired. We need to be stirred, roused, moved to action to reach the people in our lives with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so the question is, how? How will we come together? How will we come together and and inspire and stir and rouse and move each other as a congregation to continue cultivating a community on mission? And I have three specific proposals for the coming year and beyond. Number one. Let's foster a culture, a culture. Let's foster a culture of invitation. I need your help here. I I really, I really want and welcome your help. And I want to help you. I I really want to be of some help to you. I want to hear and understand what would help you invite others to church. I want to learn. I want to learn. The other elders and the staff, we want to learn. We want to learn and identify those hindrances so that we can do our best to remove any obstacles as far as it depends on us. And so is it is it that putting yourself out there is risky? Is it, is it embarrassment? Is it the fear of change? Is it that it seems so much safer to keep to ourselves, especially when we've created a, a comfortable church environment where we see the same people and do the same things without much risk of change? what if we turn that upside down? What if we saw more people in addition to the same people? What if we did new things in addition to the same things? And what if we saw more change, particularly changed lives, would you not be excited to share in the excitement of someone who's new in Christ or new to church? Would would that not enliven your faith, would it not, to see someone come to faith in Jesus? 
You know, when the Vatrons were here earlier this month, by the way, I found this just super interesting. Not surprising, because John's an, an evangelist, and he's, he's got that at heart, but, but it was just so wonderful that he chose to preach on the Great Commission. And he and I spoke after the service. We, talk about, we talked about church and his churches and our church and just churches in general and how over time in Romania, at least in the churches he's involved with, the culture has changed from inward to outward as more and more people are growing more and more excited about reaching their friends and family for Christ. In fact, you've got to hear this. He shared a story about one church in particular, a church of just 20 members, who on one particular Sunday invited over 400 visitors. You can do the math. That means that on average, every member of that church brought 20 different people to church. And the entire culture of that congregation changed in just one week as people were coming to Christ by the droves and the church grew exponentially. And that's exactly what we see here in the book of Acts. We invite people to church to invite them to Christ. And if they already know Christ, we invite them to grow in Christ. That's the goal. And so let's work to foster a culture of invitation. Number two. Let's hold outreach services for the unchurched. You know, I I just need to say just quickly that obviously today's Theme and today's text and today's sermon is, is really geared more for our church, for those in the church. And of course, unchurched or unsaved people are always welcome to any of our services. Though the service, the service, and today especially, is typically geared for church members, unchurched people will, will nonetheless hear songs and prayers that praise God and a sermon from God's Word that points us to Christ and, and to the Gospel. So on any given service, uh, on any given Sunday, in any given service, there is tremendous benefit for people of all types and backgrounds. But in addition to our regular services, what if... We held 
services specifically geared toward outreach. For instance, how might Easter Sunday look different if we thought specifically about our unchurched, unsaved friends and family? Or what if we hosted a come and see Sunday where the people in your life would be invited to just come and see what we're about? Or I've heard churches uh, host You Are Loved events that, that are just simply geared to share and demonstrate the love of God. As a staff, we've even talked about midweek outreach and outreach services. But I'm not sure the time is right yet because we need more help and buy-in from the congregation. You remember how John said that in Romania, they dedicate six months out of every year for evangelistic services? Six months. That's what I'm talking about. Probably not six months worth of services, not at first. But certainly one every six months seems doable, doesn't it? So let's work together to hold outreach services for the unchurched. And then number three, let's launch an outward-looking life group. Two weeks ago, I mentioned the desire to expand our life group ministry and how we'd like to add at least one group per year that is deliberately outreach-oriented. You see, if hosting outreach services brings our neighbors to the church launching an, uh, an out, outward-looking life group brings the church to our neighbors. Did you know that that's how I came to Christ? I came to Christ because a small group of church members invited unchurched people into their homes because our neighbors, Greg and Cynthia, consistently opened their home and invited our family into their lives. My parents began attending their weekly life group. And after they had gone for a week or two, and after Greg and Cynthia and others from that group personally reached out to me, though I was just 16 and the youngest there by far, I began attending also. And for the first time in my life, sitting cross-legged on their living room floor, I found myself reading the Bible while, the, while words from the Gospel of Mark leaped from the page into my heart. Greg and Cynthia invited us to church, and before long, after hearing and learning more of the Gospel, I gave my life to Jesus and was saved to God. There are people you know there are people you know who may not come to church, at least not at first. 
but they'll come to your home. So will you please consider this for your neighborhood? And don't let your lack of preparedness deter you. Greg was a fire paramedic by trade. Cynthia was a PE teacher. They just simply loved the Lord and they loved people and they, 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 they looked for ways they were willing to to host a, a group of people so that the people in their lives could come into closer contact with the Lord of their lives. Let's launch, let's launch an outward-looking life group. Church, we must be willing to leave the familiar if it means advancing the cause of Christ. In Acts, we see people stepping out in faith to take the gospel to places near and far while relying on the Holy Spirit every step of the way. And I I believe that deep down, we all hunger for this. We, we, We want to be part of this great work. We want to do our part in what God is doing to redeem the world. For most of us, the desire is already there. It's just the follow-through that needs some attention. And so how can we move from cultivating a community on mission to actually participating in the mission ourselves? Or if I can just be more direct, what can you do? What can you do? And I have three very simple, very obvious and not at all new applications. These are age-old applications. And the first is this. Share the gospel often. Share the gospel often. Obviously, the, the focal point in this sentence is the gospel, but the word share is equally important. To share means inviting someone to enjoy what you already enjoy. So I'm in Starbucks recently. And after placing my order, a cinnamon dolce latte with whipped cream, I step aside so the guy behind me can place his order. An older man And he appeared a bit disheveled and somewhat forlorn. And when he finished, trust me, I don't do this hardly ever. But when he finished, I just felt led to pay for his drink. And he looked at me and he literally began to cry. And he told me about what a rough day he was having and how my act of kindness really touched him. And then he carried on. And he said he was frustrated. Frustrated with people in general. (laughs) 
and frustrated with Christians in particular. Because, as he put it, he was tired of the constant hypocrisy. He told me he was an atheist, that he was an anthropology major, that he considered himself a, a good student of people who knew the human condition very well. Now, at this point, I had hardly said anything. I just listened with interest. But in the interest of full disclosure, I said, well, actually, I'm a Christian. And I'm a Christian pastor. (laughs) And I agree with you that Christians can be very hypocritical. Me too. And if you have a few moments to spare, I have some thoughts about the human condition as well. And so we grabbed our drinks and continued. And I told him that There's hypocrisy in all of us. That as human beings, we're all guilty, each one of us, of saying one thing and doing another, that we are severely flawed and finite, and therefore we are destined to fail one another all the time. And so I said we... We have to look to someone higher, to God, and see ourselves as people who were created by God in God's image, but we've desperately, tragically lost our way. And for the next 20 minutes, honestly, for the next 20 minutes, I just kind of recounted our Advent series. I went through the big picture, the grand narrative, and I said, you remember, you know that God is good. And all that he does is good. But see, we have turned from God and his goodness to go our own way. But God pursues us still in Jesus Christ, who took our sins upon himself and gave us his goodness in trade. that he he died and he rose and he ascended to heaven, that Jesus still reigns today over all things and that he's coming again to make all things good again. Just as they were from the very beginning. I urged him to look to Jesus for his answers and to trust Jesus with his life. I never got his name. I never got his name. But I've since seen him at that same Starbucks, and I suspect our paths will cross again. And I'm just an average guy. Please know that. Just an average guy 
who struck up a conversation with another average guy in your average coffee shop. I've had a wee bit, a wee bit of training in evangelism, but I am not an expert evangelist, believe me. By the way, we currently have evangelism training every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock if you want to sharpen your skills. But there comes a point, church, when we have to stop talking about evangelism and doing evangelism. We have to stop talking about evangelism and start doing evangelism. Ross will appreciate this. It's like my baseball days. You know, the batting cage is great practice. In the cage, if you've played baseball, you know this. In the cage, you, you work on your stance and swing and your bat-to-ball mechanics. But the game of baseball, just like the game of life, just like sharing the gospel, is not played in the controlled environment of a batting cage. At some point, you have to face live pitching. <laughs> You have to be put in in-game situations where you're facing pitchers of all types who throw pitches of all kinds at all rates of speed. And you adjust on the fly. And sometimes you swing and miss. And that particular picture, pitcher gets the best of you on that particular day. That happens but we mustn't ever let that, let that keep us from stepping back to the plate. We have to remember that nowhere in Scripture, nowhere in Scripture are non-Christians told to come and find the gospel. Rather, the church is told to go and take the gospel to them. But even then, churches don't make disciples of Christ People do. So tell someone you know who doesn't know God something good about God. That's where it begins. Start there. Tell someone you know who doesn't know God something good about God. Start there. And share the gospel often. Number two. Invite your friends and family to church regularly. Invite your friends and family to church regularly. So <laughs> you'll think I eat out a lot. So I was in Panera Bread <laughs> on Friday morning, grabbing my everything bagel with honey walnut cream cheese. And I'm at the counter, and the woman taking my order, probably in her mid to late 20s, she asks if I have a Panera card, and so I give her the number, and she enters it in the computer, and she sees that I'm registered under the name East Parkway Church. That was intentional, by the way. And so she completes my order, and as I'm paying, she asks me about the church. And I tell her a few things. 
And then she says, you know, I used to go to church. And then I stopped going to church. And then life took a turn, and I've been thinking about church and returning to church. And uh, I have two children, and we're settling into a new situation. And I didn't press for details, but I could sense that she's going through some stuff. And so I just said to her, here's where we're located. Here's our website, our web address. And I want you to know you're welcome at our church anytime. Now, I did not plan to meet this woman. I did not plan to have this conversation. But I'm convinced that God did. I believe that I was able to be for her someone with whom she could share her burden even if just for a brief moment. And I was able to, uh, to tell and remind her by inviting her to church that God still welcomes her. And there's a place where she and her children can find grace and peace. The, the way to cultivate an invitational culture at church, wait for it, is by inviting people to church. And the more we do this, the more you extend invitations regularly, the more invitational we become. And what do we mean by regularly? Well, you know, at first, I was thinking quarterly. That it would be really something if each one of us invited someone to church at least once every three months. But Andre said no. Andre said that if we're going to pray big prayers, which we talked about last week, we need to set bigger goals. He said, let's do monthly. Let's each aim to invite someone new to church at least once every month. And then as he, is, as he and I discussed this, I said, okay, well... If we're going to ask that of the congregation, we need to lead the way. We, staff, elders, we need to lead the way. And so we're in this with you. We have committed to invite at least one person to church at least once every month, and we're asking you to do the same. Invite your friends and family regularly. And then third and finally, invest in the mission financially. I'm just going to cut to the chase here. Giving our money is never easy. Sally and I work hard for our money. I know you do too. 
We have bills to pay with our money, and I know you do too. Uh, if there's any left over, if we're able, we like to save some, and we like to buy things with our money. And I know you do too. And so I get it. I totally understand why we hesitate to give. But this fact remains. We just cannot get around this fact. God intends a church's ministry to be funded by its members. That's, that's just the bottom line. God intends a church's ministry to be funded by its members. Now, I know that some of you are already incredible, incredible givers financially. And to you, I just say thank you and please keep it up. I don't know who you are. I'm not privy to individual giving records. I don't want to be. But I know that you are dedicated and devoted to this aspect of your Christian life and to this uh, necessity of the church. And I just want to encourage you to know that your financial investment is yielding an eternal return in the lives of the people in this church and around the world. So I want to speak to those of you specifically who may not be giving at all. And again, I don't know who you are. Maybe you give to a parachurch ministry or another non-profit. That's fine. Just know that that's to be above and beyond. That's, that kind of giving is to be above and beyond because the priority is the local church, your church. That's what we see here in Acts, throughout the New Testament, but the practice itself wasn't new. Even in the Old Testament, God uh, God instructed his people to give back a portion of what he had given to them. He's not after your money. God's not after your money. He wants your heart. And so if you, if it, so if you aren't giving financially, give. and look for ways to give more when possible. Trust God in this area. I can tell you from personal experience, Sal and I can tell you from personal experience, I can tell you from the experience of those I've counseled, that if you will just designate a portion of your income, however great or small, if you will just designate a portion of your income for the church to give to the church, I can almost guarantee you that over time you will want to increase that amount. Because generous, cheerful, and sacrificial giving is a sure sign of one's growth in Christ. There's, there's this process as we grow in Christ there's this process that this sanctifying process that happens in us where we just don't cling to the things of this world as tightly as we once did 
So start small. Start small if you must. I mean it. I've, I've told people, I said, start with 20 bucks a month. Start with $5 a month. If that's what it takes, start small but remain steady. Invest in the mission financially. And so as I close this sermon and series, what I'm advocating for is participation from all church members because the benefits are well worth it and they're everlasting. Our congregation, church, will grow stronger as we invest ourselves in true community by, by building upon biblical foundations, meaningful Sanctifying and Christ-centered relationships will be forged in our midst while outward-looking, disciple-making efforts take shape. So let us be a community in community. Let us be a community in prayer. Let us be a community on mission ever advancing the cause of Christ here in the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of God. Can I get a witness? Amen. Father, we thank you for this time we've shared. And I'm just reminded that as I look out into the faces of these dear people, I'm just reminded that there's hardly a single person here who isn't here. How do, I, how do we say this, Lord? There's hardly a person here. The only reason they're here is by your grace and because someone in their life shared your grace with them just as they did in my life. Someone in our lives shared your grace with us. Invited us to Christ. Invited us to the church. And you did what only you could do. You saved us to yourself. And call us sons and daughters. We want to be those kind of people, those people who stand in the gap, those people who say, let me tell you about Jesus. Make us to be those kind of people more and more for the cause of Christ.